Pastor Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you guys. This is my uh, one of my executive pastors, Jacob Williamson, is joining me today, and um, it's an honor to be with you. Yeah, come on, Jacob. <laughs> I was trying to think of some Michigan connections. There's not a whole lot. I'm not originally from Texas. Um, I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So uh, with that, my dad was a Canadian Football League coach in Canada for many years, uh, head coach with BC Lions. I was actually his, um, what they call the Grey Cup baby, the year that they won the Grey Cup in 64. I, I was the reason why, and um, he was happy. And then um, my dad would, like all coaches, get fired. And then we would move to New Orleans. Uh, he was with the New Orleans Saints, St. Louis Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals again, Atlanta Falcons, New York Jets, Green Bay Packers. NFL stands for not for long, and um, we were not for long in any city. That just is the way we were raised. My mom and dad are both from Mississippi, and uh, they both went to Mississippi State. And uh, my dad uh, would go on to play professional ball and then would, uh, after his playing career, go into high school coaching, and then he went to college coaching at Mississippi State, and then he'd begin his professional career. And I was just trying to think of some Michigan people that we knew. Uh, not many. Most of them are dead. Um, <laughs> Rick Forzano. Anybody remember? Of course, he was Detroit Lion. Uh, head coach for many years. My dad and Rick were on the same staff in New York, uh, actually with the Je uh, at that time with the Cardinals in the mid-60s. And then um, there's a boy that we pastor now, Matt Costello, who is a former center with the Michigan State. You guys remember Matt? Okay, no basketball fans here this morning. And uh, yeah, so Matt was the, I think, a Michigan uh, State Athlete of the Year, our basketball player of the year. And we've got a few of those guys that uh, hang out with the Spurs. And uh, with that being said, it's... Um, honored to be in this church and for years I've heard uh, great things about this church and uh, I've wanted to come to this church um, but they wouldn't let me because there is a connection to Nick Saban and uh, I played football at LSU and they said it was going to be 30 years before you could even come to this church because of the anybody like Nick do we have one Nick fan around okay Nick's mom is here tonight and uh, with that I didn't play for him uh, so what happened was after my dad retired from the NFL um, we moved to really basically back to their hometown of Natchez, Mississippi, and uh, right there in central Mississippi on the Mississippi River. Uh, my parents built a lake house in uh, Louisiana, so on, just on the other side of the river. So I ended up going to high school uh, my last two years there in Faraday, Louisiana. And then that's when, uh, as I was playing ball, LSU became of interest to me. That's where most of our school would go. And, and so I was fortunate enough to go there and play. I was 100 pounds ago. So uh, in 2004, I was still about 300 pounds, and uh, I figured it probably was not going to be good if I continued the track that I was on. And so um, as it relates to that, I played ball, and, and while I'm at LSU, my junior year, and this is where, just a little bit about my testimony, um, my mom and dad were typical post-World War II generation parents and people. When dad came back from the war, and of course, they begin their life, um, when it came to God, when it, when it came to church, um, that, that was really not a part of their life. Um, actually, my dad was raised Baptist in Mississippi. My mother was raised Catholic in Mississippi. That meant there was a fight every Sunday. And um, when, when I'm, a, of course, now born, my parents are done with church. They frankly, uh, they both had their experiences um, for the negative in church. Um, so... And then now he's professionally coaching, he's successful, and uh, he's got 
two older, now sons, my, I have two older brothers. And so uh, church was not a part of our life. They were not anti, they were not against. If somebody would have, in fact, I, I joke, I think that if the Hari Christians would have pulled up, they would have said, get in. You just need to go somewhere. So they, they, they were like that. They were pretty free-spirited free people. And um, so I never went to church, never, never saw a, a Bible open, never heard a, a prayer prayed. But I will tell you, my parents were very biblical in the way that they raised us, uh, the way that they um, loved us, the way that they disciplined us. Um, in that way, they were probably more biblical in their parenting than a lot of biblical parents are, in the sense that they, they really did understand how to raise kids, how to, how to have a family. I have a two-star general brother that just retired. My other brother's retired colonel from the Marine Corps, and I'm in the Lord's Army. And so, um, again, church is not even a part of our, uh, our life. Neither had it been a part of my brother's lives. And then my dad was coaching for the Atlanta Falcons. And um, there were two players, Greg Berzina and Ralph Ortega. Uh, Greg was um, All-American from University of Houston, played 12 years in the NFL. And then uh, Ralph Ortega was... Uh, uh, All-American from the University of Miami, and he had a great, I think, 10-year career in the NFL. And God just put them in my life. It was during training camp in 1978. I was 14 years old. I'd never heard the gospel. And they just said, we need to meet with you tonight. And I was a ball boy, like all the coaches' sons and the other kids that were working the training camp. They said, be in our room tonight. We need to talk to you about 8 o'clock. And I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. You know, when two NFL linebackers are telling you to be in their room. And, and frankly, I think they'd been hearing my mouth. I've been, you know, dropping some words and uh, stealing red man out of the uh, locker room, stuff like that. And um, get up into their room and they said, uh, Joe, or Joey as they called me, they said, we'd like to talk to you about, about Jesus. We want to tell you about this man who died for you. And that um, you, were, you were born for a purpose and for a reason. God created you. He made you. And the original plan for all, the whole world was that there would be relationship to God. But man, he messed that all up in the Garden of Eden. And because of the disobedience of Adam in the touching of the tree and the eating of the tree that God said don't eat from, of course, the whole world was lost and condemned. And, but God brought another man, of course, the second Adam. And he would not go to a tree in disobedience. He would go to a tree in obedience. And instead of that first tree that brought a curse, the second tree called the cross would bring a blessing. And he said, now, Joe, you've got to be in relationship. I'm 14. You've got to be in relationship to Jesus, and you can know him today. And then they pulled out a Bible. They had bought a Bible for me at the uh, bookstore that day. You were just saying we are, uh, where are you, Pastor? Uh, carriers. These are two NFL football players that are concerned about making a football team. But they were not more concerned about making a football team than they were concerned about leading a young boy to Christ. And they gave me the Bible that I still have to this very day, a New Living uh, Translation Bible. And uh, Ralph would write and Greg would write to Joey, we pray that this journey would begin for you. They didn't say, get on your knees right now, because if they would have just said, they could have said anything. You know, here's some Kool-Aid. Start drinking it, you know. Uh, they just said, we want you to go to your room. And um, this was at Furman University. Get on your knees and just, if you'd like, to ask Christ to be the Lord of your life. And so I went up into my room after that hour or so conversation. And I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord 
of my life. That seed was sown. It was a couple weeks later. We were in a, uh, a series of practices with the Chicago Bears. And, and then I would go, I'd begin to attend uh, the FCA meetings. And dad was always like, you need, you need to go, boy. How many had a dad like that? You need to get over there, boy. You son of a gun. And, but he didn't say gun. He just said, you get on over there. And, um, and so with that, you know, remember sitting next to, in fact, sharing with that Bible, that new Bible that Greg and Ralph gave me. I'm, I'm sitting there and sharing it with uh, Walter Payton. He didn't have a Bible because the bears had come to practice that week. And so anyway, that seed was sown, and I began to sense that I was called to do something. Now, this is where I want to, in fact, look at this scripture, guys, if you're taking notes. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, and Paul the Apostle makes this statement in the book of Ephesians. He says, we are his workmanship. I think they have that notes there, I think, possibly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship. That word there in the Greek literally means masterpiece. And he has beforehand, before we were born, he had a, he had a plan, he had a purpose. Now, my theology, my belief is that when it comes to predestination, look at the scripture, it is always in context of purpose, never in context of salvation. God desires the whole world to be saved. How many would agree with me that God doesn't want anybody to hell? Paul says that to Timothy. God desires no one to perish. He died for everybody. So when people start getting into some of this Calvinistic idea that God predestines some to go here and some to go there. No, predestination is always in. He's predestined us to good works. He's designed us to walk in Christ Jesus, right? To know Him and to be in relationship to Him. And out of that, because of that relationship, now you can begin to flow in good works. And I began to sense, as I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, I began to realize, and in fact, this is one of the scriptures they shared with me. We are His workmanship. You've been created, Joe. You've been predestined for good works. Yes, God wants you to go to heaven, but then from there, God wants you to bring heaven to this earth. See, there are some people that only live a kind of faith that brings them to heaven. And then there's a kind of, another kind of faith that brings heaven to them. See, guys, that's, that's where I am now. I, I, my first prayer on my knee was, Lord, get me to heaven. How many just, really, how many want to be there? Let me see your hand. Anybody want to go to hell? Anybody? Okay. Any ACDC fans here? Um, first concert, true. First concert I ever went to was ACDC concert. And uh, so anyway, with that being said, um, a lot of guys, that's where you live. A lot of men, that's where you live. You only live to get to heaven. But that's been taken care of. Once, once you're in Christ, and as you are now in Christ, God has a, a plan. He has a purpose. He has a, he has a destiny. That's of course, Paul says in Ephesians, we're seated with Christ already in heavenly places. That's a done deal. What now is not done is the kingdom of God being released in the earth. The kingdom of God being expanded like leaven that leavens the whole lump. That's not always in a negative context when Paul writes this. It's not always negative when he talks about a little leaven leavens the lump. It is also in a positive context that when the kingdom begins to grow in an area or in a man's life, it begins to leaven every area of his life. And wherever he goes, the gospel goes. And so as you are created, as you and I have been made and are being made to be his workmanship, and, and I began to become aware of this. 
And um, I said, Mom, I don't know what it is, but I've been born for a purpose. And uh, my mom and dad said, that's great. And uh, they weren't discouragers, but we also didn't go to church, so we finished up in Atlanta. Um, my dad is uh, let go. Um, and uh, we moved from Atlanta to Green Bay with uh, Bart Starr. My dad was the defensive line coach there with Bart Starr. And uh, no church there as well. And then we moved to Louisiana, and then there was a neighbor, uh, Peggy and Jack Benson. They began to bring me to First Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi. And listening to my pastor, Brother Odin Puckett, Southern Baptist pastor. Odin, you don't get any more Southern pastor, Southern Baptist than Brother Puckett. And you have to be careful how you say that. Uh, in fact, I'm wearing Invisaligns, and I have to be very careful how I say that. And, um, and so I just remember hearing the gospel through this really meek, wonderful man of God, but very different than my family. My family's football coaches and military men. But God began to speak to Brother Odin and through Brother Odin to me. And, and again, I would rededicate my life to Christ, but didn't have that church foundation. Didn't have this. This is why you need to be here every week. For those that are first-time guests, this is... This is something that uh, a lot of churches just don't have, but even as it relates to your, your weekend experiences and now your men's ministry experiences, and I didn't have this. So let's fast forward. Now I'm at LSU. And uh, I, I, I began to sense I had a call in my life, but I'm not fulfilling that call. I'm not uh, walking out that call. Uh, I'm not obedient, not just to the call of giving Jesus my, my life, but uh, I'm not in the fullness of all that Christ has for me. And then, and then there came a day, January the 10th, 1987. I'm on a deer stand. Any deer hunters here? Okay. So this is going to give you ammunition to tell your wife, let me go because God will speak to me on that deer stand. <laughs> I am on a deer stand. January the 10th, 1987. We had just played in the Sugar Bowl against Nebraska. And uh, I am... Um, about eight feet up in the air. I'm actually with my uncle, Joe Fortunato. Anybody, as a Bear fan, anybody remember a linebacker by the name of Joe Fortunato played for the Bears from 55 to 68 and was, in fact, he's in the Hall of Fame for the Bears and all that kind of stuff. So I'm named after my uncle, Joe. And so Joe's on his deer stand and uh, I'm on mine about three o'clock in the afternoon. Dad and I, we had gone out the night before, uh, had a few beers and, uh, yeah, I, Joe and I are now hunting. Dad was watching the Celtic game. That's, I can just, when I left, I can just remember him sitting there watching the Boston Celtics in January. And I'm on this deer stand. All of a sudden, I hear, for the very first time in my life, God speak to me. And I, I, I don't call it audible, but I will say to me, it was loud. And here's what I heard. Today will be the greatest day of your life, and you will never be the same after this day. Today will be the greatest day of your life. You will never be the same after this day. And I thought, I'm going to kill the world's largest deer today. This is, this is awesome. I'm going to kill a 12-point or whatever point. I don't care. And, uh, but I literally stood up on that deer stand. I said, God, what are you going to do today? I had never had this happen to me. And I sat back down. I, I would take a deer out. In fact, it was um, about a three-inch nubmuck. So it's it, actually the illegal deer that I took out. But anyway... Maybe I'm going to get arrested by the game warden on my way back to the house. And as uh, Joe and I are now driving back to his house, we actually dropped the deer off to be processed. And uh, I'm pulling up in Uncle Joe's house there in Natchez, Mississippi, to get my car to go back home. There was my aunt waiting on me, Joe's wife, and uh, my mom's sister. And she said, uh, Joe, I just got off the phone with your mom. They're bringing your dad to the hospital with a heart attack. Meet them there as fast as you can. And instantly, to me, it was like the Rocky Bell went off. Boom. 
This is it. I don't know what's going to happen. This is a part of it. And so I get in my little Toyota Blue Celica. I make my way from Natchez, drive across the Mississippi River Bridge, Vidalia, pull into this little country hospital in Fairdale, Louisiana. And at the same time, they're bringing my dad out of the back of the ambulance because we had lived about 15 miles north of Faraday up on Lake St. John. And as mom and I, now mom rode with the ambulance, and so now we are in the waiting room, the emergency waiting room, and they're doing what they can. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty violent scene at that moment. And I just said, Mom, I'll be right back. And I just walked out, and I walked into a bathroom, just a little private bathroom, closed the door, and I said, God, I heard you today. You said, today will be the greatest day of my life, and I will never be the same after this day. And whatever happens with my dad, whatever takes place from this moment on, um, um, I'm serious. Well, I'd like to tell you, I walked out and the doctor said miraculously, my dad was raised from the dead that day. That didn't happen. My dad died that day. And um, I can just truly tell you, the greatest day of my life was the worst day of my life. First funeral I'd ever attended was my dad's funeral. And you say, well, how can God and how would God? And tell me about this thought that today will be the greatest day of your life and you will never be the same. And then yet, three to four hours later, this is, this is the darkest day of your life. You see, that, that is, this is how God works. Now, I'm not saying that he killed my dad. My dad was overweight. <laughs> um, my dad had a lot of stress in his life. He had, he had left the NFL and he was retired and had all the money he wanted. And he and mom could have lived and done whatever they wanted, but he got into the oil business in 1985 and lost millions of dollars. There was some stress on his life. And he wasn't healthy, but I will tell you this. What happened to me on that day was the reality of a heavenly father that will never die. And that what became real to me was God's word. See, God's word has to outshine whatever situation and tragedy you have in this world. You've got to remember the worst day, if you will, of this world or all of history, all of the universe, was the day that God's son was sacrificed on the cross. That day. On that day, when Christ goes to that cross, my God, my God, why has what? Why has thou forsaken me? But out of that cross, out of that dynamic, out of that situation, out of that, out of that obedience, out of, out of Christ going to the cross, comes our, our great days. You see, this is, this is the power of resurrection. No, it should not cause you to be afraid of why, God, is this happening? Or nor should it cause you to be afraid, Lord, please don't do that. Or I can't experience anything like that, lest I might go the other way. But I'm just here to tell you that God is a redeeming God. And that we are His workmanship. But what oftentimes is, we don't like the war that has to go with the workmanship. This is the book of Ephesians. This is, this is the life of the believer. Can I just tell you, more men die for the lack of understanding that there is a war than for those that know that there is a war. A lot of men die for the lack of seeing the warfare, for understanding that you are in a war. And we get so numb even in this world that we live to. Now, we are living in a war frenzy world right now. Everybody's fighting. And again, I want to bring back this theme to you guys in just a few minutes is that this is the book of Ephesians. What Paul is trying to do to these believers in Ephesus 
is to seat them in heavenly places, to, to let them know that there is a, a war. In fact, in that same book, again, here's another scripture to give you. He says at the end of chapter 6, he goes, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, there's a fight behind the fight. I'm, in fact, I'm going to share this same message with the pastors in the next uh, session this morning. And that is, there's a fight behind your fight. There's a, there's a world behind your world. And the enemy wins when he can get you to live on the flesh and blood level. Let me tell you what happened to me on that day. You know what God did on that day? Forget, forget what he said, today will be the greatest day of your life, you'll never be the same, and then my dad dies. What I want you to see is that what God showed me in that word on January the 10th, 1987, on that deer stand, was that there was another, there's another world behind this world. There's another, there's another life behind this life. And if we're not careful, we live at such a, um, a horizontal level. This is why Paul says, don't look at your wife as the enemy. Don't look at that neighbor as the enemy. Don't look, don't look at flesh and blood and say, he or she, they are my enemies. They're not your there's, there's a There's an enemy behind, if you will, the bait. Fishermen. Do we have a fisherman in this place? Let me tell you guys. It's, it's, and it's as well as hunting. Fishermen fish with bait. For what reason? To, to get the hook in the mouth of that fish. See, what Satan wants to do, if he can keep you blind, he can get you to bite the bait and fail to see the hook. Because as, as many as men, this is where we fail. We fail to see the bait and what the bait is, and we miss the hook, and what Satan is absolutely trying to do is he's trying to rip you out of your environment. He's trying to rip you out of your God-given world. He's trying to rip your family apart. He's trying to rip your life apart. But what does he do? He baits hooks. And where we are killed is that we don't see the hook behind the bait. We see a pretty woman. We see that image on the internet that, uh, which pops up or that which comes across uh, our pathway. Uh, you know, that old girl from, on Facebook found you. You know what Facebook really is all about? It's people that you hated in high school finding you again later on in life. That's all Facebook is. And um, how many are thankful? You, I've seen some old girlfriends on Facebook from high school. Thank God. Thank God. Anyway, I think it's also confirmation. Um, anyway, with that being said, is this being recorded? Um, what Paul is trying to show us in Ephesians is that, um, guys, you gotta, you got to realize we are his workmanship. Now, let me just give you another, just a setting, and then I'm going to give you a couple points. In Ephesians... When Paul is writing to this, let me just give you a little thought here. The Bible says that there was a big disturbance, no small disturbance going on concerning the way of Christ. And this is Acts 19. And there was a man named Demetrius, a silversmith. He, he made his money off of these shrines and off of these idols and temples. And, uh, and of course, he said, guys, he gathers his team together. and He goes, men, we, we're about to lose all of our money and all of our business. This Paul is persuading people to turn away from the temple. This man, Paul, is saying that there is no God except Jesus. And there's a danger that we're going to lose everything. 
And of course, the Bible says in Ephesus, again, the setting of Ephesians, they began to chant and they began to rage. See, watch this. When they heard what Paul was doing and they heard about what Demetrius was saying, it says in, in verse 28, they were filled with rage. They began to cry out, great is Artemis. The city was filled with confusion. And then they took two of Paul's companions, dragging them away. Now, Paul wanted to go into the fight. Now, watch this. Paul wanted to go into that assembly. He wanted to go into that, that fight at that moment. But there were disciples there that said, Paul, this is not a fight for you. See, Paul had not written the book of Ephesians yet. And when you understand, and this is where we're going to land, when you understand you are God's workmanship, you and I are going to have to be very careful to enter into fights that God has never called you to fight. You're going to have to be very careful as to what fights you get yourself involved in. They said, Paul, don't get in. This is not your fight. This is not the hill for you to die on. And uh, in Luke chapter 4, we know Jesus. See, again, Paul knew he was God's workmanship. And, of course, we know Jesus knows he is God's workmanship. Watch this. Jesus is preaching and all the synagogue, as a result of his preaching, they were filled with rage. You guys have this on Luke chapter 4. I don't know if they have it. But all the people were filled with rage as Jesus was preaching and teaching. They drove him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But watch this. But Jesus passed through their midst. He went his way. In other words, Jesus knew he was God's workmanship. Jesus knew why he was on the planet. Jesus knew he was God's son. He was his masterpiece. He had heard the Father say, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Guys, can I just tell you, you're not going to win. You're not going to win this Christian life. You're not going to win in life. You're not going to fulfill the call. And you're not going to walk in fullness unless you've got to understand this principle right here. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. And some of us get into fights that are not worth fighting. Some of us have been in fights. In fact, you fight with your wife. You fight with this. You fight with that. You're just, you wake up fighting. You wake up fighting with the coffee. You wake up fighting at the red light. You wake up fighting. Just, just, and guess what? You can't go the way that God has called you to go. Even Jesus said, guys, you're not going to throw me off on this cliff. Because guess what? There was a greater destiny for him in his life. He wasn't going to die on the cliff. He was going to die on the cross. There are people and there are forces that want to get you to die on a cliff rather than at your destiny. See, that's the whole point. You have been predetermined by God to arrive in your destiny, in your inheritance. You've got to know this is God's workmanship. Let me give you a couple points and then we'll uh, pray and get you guys on your way. I love this in Job 17, it says, the righteous hold to his way. A righteous man holds to his way, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. In other words, a righteous man knows the way of God. He knows what God is doing in his life, which leads me to point number one, and that is when you know you're God's workmanship, you will walk away from compromise. Number one, the reason why you can walk away, the, the, the way that you're going to be motivated to walk away from anything that is of compromise in your walk to Christ is that you have to know who you are. The greatest example is Joseph. 
In Genesis chapter 39, Joseph has everything. Now watch this. He is, you could say he is like Paul, seated with Christ in heavenly places. He knows he is God's workmanship. Pharaoh has given everything to him. There's nothing that Joseph does not have. Now Pharaoh's wife grabs Joseph and says, come and what? Come and lie with me. And what comes out of his mouth gives us an indication that he knew he was God's workmanship. He knew he was God's masterpiece. He goes, I have everything. I own everything. There's nothing that I have not been blessed with. How can I sin against? How can I sin against your husband? How can I sin against my leader Pharaoh? And then he goes, How can I sin against God? God has blessed me with everything. I'm sitting with everything. Can I just tell you? The Bible says you've already been given everything. And the Bible says this. And so instead of standing there, he refuses. But he refuses. A man who knows who he is, when a man knows that. He is God's workmanship. He will not walk in compromise. He refused. Come on, say this with me. But he refused. That's what he has to... You're going to have to... Every day, it's a life of refusal. Every day. Every day. Every day. I refused the bacon this morning. Now, I want to swim in it. I'm going to lick it. And I'm just telling you, I walked by the, Jacob, did you have, okay, so Jacob didn't refuse it. But I, I know I can get to 300 by next week if I'm not careful. That's just, I just know that I, I'm just going to not eat one piece. I'm going off the board. I'm just, I'm just going to backslide. And uh, I use that as a silly illustration, but the reality is, what are you refusing? Number two, when you know you're God's workmanship, you will walk in confidence. Paul says we are his workmanship. I am his son. I am his boy. I am his masterpiece. I've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has something I has not seen. The ear has not even yet heard the things that he has for me. We've experienced a great life. These last 18 years planning, planning Celebration Church in Austin, Texas. We've got thousands and thousands of people attend our church. and got a campus in Italy. We've got a bunch of locations in Africa. We lead the ark you know, with my buddies, Association of Related Churches with Chris Hodges and some of these other churches that have just exploded. And, and you know, people say, Joe, you're just of a personality. You're confident because of your personality. No, I'm confident because I know what the Bible says about me. You're done if you don't know the Bible. You're just done. You're, you're done. you got to know. I love this. Psalm 139. I will give thanks to you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now watch this. My soul knows it very well. Knows what very well? My soul knows this very well. You better be a master at knowing very well that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You better know this very well. Listen, guys, I made, don't judge me, I made a 12 on my ACT. Well, that's why you go to LSU, right? Um, on a football scholarship. That's the only place I could have gone to LSU, or any place for that matter. But one thing, I, I didn't know my books very well, but I know my Bible. And uh, God can do more with a man that knows the Word than any other subject. And this is a subject you've got to know. Number three, when you know you're God's workmanship, you'll walk through all their crisis. You'll walk through the crisis. Jesus walked right through it. He wasn't going to let his heart be troubled. He held to his way. I want you to see that. You're either living to their way or you're living to his way. 
He held to his way. That, again, Job, a righteous man, holds to what? His way. His, his righteous decisions, his righteous disciplines. He doesn't come off. He doesn't move. Jesus set his face like what? Like flint to go to he, he Nothing was going to take him off of that pathway. Nothing was going to take him off of that goal. Yesterday, I had to do a Fox um, interview. We're, um, we're being attacked by, uh, by the LGBTQ community in Austin. Uh, Fox News has picked it up. It's a big deal. This thing could, hopefully, we don't wish this, but there's a potential uh, that this thing could go really bad fast. could be kind of a, and pray with us about this, it could be the same situation that Colorado just had with the cake situation go to the Supreme Court. They believe that this could be a, this could be a case that they want to jump on to try to get all churches out of all government-owned buildings, all school buildings. And um, so Todd Starnes and we've had Shapiro, a lot of those guys have called. And we've got to be careful how we handle that because so far the school district has been good. The school has actually supported our First Amendment rights. But um, guys, how many believe um, the same thing that they said about Jesus? We do not want this man ruling over us. Give us Barabbas. You know they said that. We don't want Jesus. We'd rather, we'd rather live with a thief than with the Son of God. We'd rather have a wicked man be our friend than God be our friend. How many know we still live in that world? And guys, we got to be careful of coming down in the crisis. What crisis are you facing? What cri- Don't come down to the flesh and blood level. Don't bite on the bait. Don't go for it. There's a hook behind it. Had Jesus entered into their rage, he would have not gone to the cross. Had he come down, the moment he would have come down and said, okay, I'll f- you idiot, you jerk, you're kicking me out of the synagogue. He, listen, the moment you go down and fight insult with insult, you're a loser. The moment you become angry, you've lost. Maintain your composure in the crisis. Number four, when you know you're God's workmanship, you'll walk towards your calling. You'll walk towards your calling, towards towards your calling. Focus on your future. You're future-minded. You're future-minded. Again, I referenced it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared. Can I just tell you something, guys? Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard the things that God still has in store for every single one of us. Please don't, don't, listen, don't stop reaching. I know men There's two kinds of believers. There are people who are good at reaching, and then they don't retain. So you got to have both. We want to reach, but then once we reach, we want to retain. We want to, we want to, we want to hold. We want to keep going. We want to keep moving forward. And so, lastly, and uh, and that is, when um, you know that you are God's workmanship, you are not afraid to fight. You're not afraid of the fight. You're not afraid of a fight. Maybe my favorite scripture, just because I come from a family of fighters. Um, Luke 22, verse 36. And I think we have this one possibly. And that is, if you have a purse, I love this. I I think this is the actual translation. He says, uh, if you have a purse, take it. And if you have a bag, take it. And if you don't have a sword, 
sell your cloak and buy one. These are the words of Jesus. Now, please don't leave this place today on your way to a gun show. I'm not saying, I'm, listen, hear what I'm telling you. Jesus said this. Think about it. If you have a coat and you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy a sword. What is he saying? Now, I don't think, because later on, you know what Jesus would say to Peter? He who lives by the sword will what? Die by the sword. We, we, okay, so we're there. He's not talking literal sword. He's not talking arm yourself and let's go take it back. That's not, that's not how he does it. It's a mentality. When he says get a sword, he's saying get a warfare mentality. Put your fight on. Don't be casual. In other words, don't be warm. Sell your coat. I, 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 here, here's my interpretation. Get ready your blanket. Get ready your bed. How many, how many honestly thought about, I don't feel like getting out of bed this morning? I didn't. Bobby Bogart asked me two weeks ago, hey, would you like to come and speak to the men? Sure, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was all about it. And then this morning, I'm like, what in the heck? For what? For you? No, I'm not. But you are God's workmanship. And uh, would you bow your heads, please, guys? Um, when you know that you're God's man, and when that revelation comes that he has called you, he calls you his masterpiece. He calls you his man. He calls you his workmanship. He's building you. He's making you. And understand, guys, he's also growing you. He's expanding you. He's enlarging you. God is never going to be finished enlarging you. And when you say, Joe, what happened on January the 10th, 1987? Yeah, that day was horrible. But I became, I became bigger through death. And what I did not tell you, and I'll tell you now, guys, as your heads are bowed, at my dad's funeral, I would have one person after another at the funeral. No less than eight people or so. Hundreds in my dad's funeral would come to me and say, uh, your dad told us this week that you're going to be a preacher, and he has never been more proud of you. One gentleman told me, your dad was proud that you played ball, but he said, he told me he's more proud that you're going to be a pastor one day and a man of God. There was a few moments in my dad's death, the day that he died, my mother was there, that mom began to share with me what happened as it related to, I believe, the God moment that he had before he left this world. I believe my father saw the work that God was going to do in his boy. And I can just tell you, I am grateful for that dark day because the word of God trumps no pun intended. But God, in His Word, is greater than any crisis or catastrophic event that you will face in this world. And First of all, I want to ask, how many men are going through some kind of a crisis? It's relative to you, but it's a crisis. Let me see your hand all over this place. God brought you here this morning. This is a word for you. Um, he's going to use this. Today will be the greatest day of your life. You'll never be the same from this crisis.
out of this crisis, because of this crisis. And guys, you may not be in one today, but the reality is we will be someday. We, we, we know that we will have those moments, and we've got to be able to stop and go, I am God's workmanship in the crisis. I am God's workmanship in the world, in the war. And what God's doing in these wars and what God does in these battles is that he builds men, and he builds you into being better men. He's not done with you yet. And maybe you're here today and you say, uh, Joe, I, uh, I'm that guy. I know that my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. But uh, there is more for me, and I know that there's more I can give that would not be about my name being in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I, I want to give myself more to being a part of the process of other people's names being in the Lamb's Book of Life. How many want to live at another level? Let me see your hand in Christ. Father, I just thank you for these men today. Bless them. I pray if any man walked into this room wondering who they were and are they loved, Lord, I just pray they would know today they're your man in your workshop. And Lord, we live in a world that wants to beat down men, especially believing men. I pray that the enemy would not win, but God's word will win in our lives. I thank you that, Father, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Thank you for the res men here. Thank you for the sacrifice that they made. Bless their work today. Bless the work of their hands. Bless their sons. Bless their daughters, their grandsons, their granddaughters. Bless their wives. Bless all that they touch. And we thank you, Father, for your love to us, which is great. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, men. Thank you so much for allowing me to share.